Hello and welcome to Waltrip Unfiltered. I'm so happy this morning. I have a great guest. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is joining me. Dale, thanks for your time. Appreciate you sharing some stories with me on my podcast. How you been, buddy? We've been good, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, good to see you. Uh, and uh, everybody's hanging in there. We, we're in pretty good shape here at the house. Uh, took this whole thing pretty seriously from the get-go early on and, and made, made some preparations to make sure we had enough diapers and wipes and all the other essentials uh, that we might need if we get locked down in the house and been trying to stay healthy and hope everybody out there is doing the same thing. <laughs> well, the fun part about the podcast for me, and I know you've probably experienced the same thing, is how much I enjoy getting just to talk to my buddies, you know, getting a yeah. chance to, to hang out. And that's certainly the case today. I, before we get rolling, how you doing with all your social distancing? And how's Amy? I know it's a big time in y'all's lives. Everything okay at home? Everything's really good here, and we're we're really lucky. Um, you know, we when this thing first started, you know, getting talked about um, even before we really had a lot of cases here in the United States, I went and made sure that I got everything that I needed um, for a few months in case we did have to, you know, get quarantined or get locked down in our houses. And I mean, you know, diapers, wipes milk, just the things that were necess uh, necessary for Isla. And uh, we already had a pretty good freezer full of food and all the things that we typically just have here on a normal. But I wanted to make sure I got everything we needed um, in case things got really bad. You know, I took this really seriously from the very get-go. And ever since then, we have been pretty much at the house. We haven't, you know, been out and about and doing anything really outside of the gates here and and uh and and i'm i'm enjoying it myself i see so i was always um pretty introverted and and before i met amy i would hardly ever really get out and do much or um wasn't really a socializing kind of guy but you know she certainly changed that but anyhow so this is really comfortable for me to be stuck in my house for days and weeks on end <laughs> is not really that tough for me um, I've been racing online on iRacing and, and enjoying that and uh, just how much that's exploded uh, due to the circumstances has been a lot of fun for me. And it's been great to be able to get Isla up in the morning and, and be with her and be with Amy. And um, the only, um, you know, I hate to complain because really we had it great. We're in a great situation. I think about, you know, I think about people that are in tougher situations. Imagine being in a, an apartment building sort of stuck in that small apartment and not able to get out and navigate and move around like you want to. And, uh, that would be, you know, I'm sure there's people in some really, really tough situations that, uh, that are, that are struggling with anxiety and, and concern and their own sanity, um, you know, through this process, but Amy's pregnant. Um, so that's been a challenge for her. She's already emotional and, and going through that. And, um, you know, this has been the best uh, circumstances for her. And uh, so trying to, trying to help her and, and, and comfort her through that process, all non-essential hospital visits were canceled. So our, you know, week or every two-week checkup that we would have to go make sure everything's going well with the pregnancy, all that's gone away. Um, we were just a week or two away from doing some blood tests to be able to find out um, a lot of important information about Amy's pregnancy, along with the sex of the baby, and all that has went away. So it's changed that process for us as opposed to how it was with Isla, uh, our first child. And uh, but it's but it's been okay, you know. It, it 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 is what it is. That's sort of the way I go about it. We deal with the circumstances and the and the hand you're dealt each day, and um, you know it's 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 going well. And, you know, there's over the last couple of days, there has been some good news, uh, about the virus and it's, it's spread and the rate that it's spreading and so forth. There's been some, uh, some, some progress, uh, I suppose. Um, but everybody's worried we're worried and, uh, can't wait to, you know, get things back to normal, not only just to get back to the racetrack, but to be able to go out and do the things that you just want to do. And, yeah. uh, Certainly, we took all that stuff for granted before this. I think everybody's going to have a new appreciation 
for, for life and, and for those experiences that we take for granted every day after all this. The only thing that I, that gets, hurts my feelings is like you look around and you wonder now, you know, you used to take so much for granted and you just, you can't do that, especially at this time uh, right now. My beautiful daughter, Macy, her graduation, her college graduation got canceled. And, and you talked about, you know, our problems aren't, aren't as big as other people's. Uh, just the emotion, I guess, of it all is what is what's the hardest to deal with. And um, so I'm glad to hear that you've taken it seriously and you've been hunkered down. And, and I'm also glad that you have something that can distract your attention for a short period of time on the weekends. And, and that's iRacing. I know you've been an iRacing guy for a long, long time. Didn't you meet Denny Hamlin through iRacing back in the day? Is there a story there? Yeah. Um, you know, Denny was racing online. We had, I say we, me and my friends, I, you know, you, you get online and you start racing on iRacing. One of the first things that you uh, learn immediately is that it's a big community. It's a big neighborhood and you meet people from all over the country. And that experience of just meeting and interacting with people that have something of interest uh, the same as you, uh, sim racing, is a lot of fun. You share stories, you share tips, um, you know, you, you know where to go to, 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 to get assistance with hardware, software issues and, and, and hurdles. Um, you, get, you get information on what, what the best, uh, most affordable hardware or software to be using is. I mean, it's just a really, really helpful community of great people um, all across the world. I mean, iRacing I is actually maybe even more popular in Europe and overseas on the road course side of things. There's more, sir, uh, there's more customers on the service, uh, each day than you would have on the oval side. But, um, it's just great to be able to interact with people. And, uh, so for, so that's how I met Denny. I met Denny racing online. I met a lot of people and I hired, a. You know, some of those friends that I met early on two decades ago, some of them we've hired and, and brought over to Junior Motorsports. They've moved here to North Carolina from wherever they were. Uh, Steven Steffen that handles all of our, um, you know, he handles all the flights, rental cars, hotel rooms, uh, uniforms for crew, for drivers. He handles all the logistics for Junior Motorsports. I hired him from iRacing, made him on iRacing. Uh, Lee Langley runs our parts department. Met him online. Josh Berry that races our late model car that just won the Martinsville race last year, 50 late model wins. Met him online. TJ Majors, my best friend, used to spot for me in racing. Met him racing online. Denny Hamlin. The list goes on and on. I got a guy, Brad Davies, uh, in our IT department I met racing online. Um, you know, it's just a great community that I've been a part of for a really long time, and I really appreciate uh, the impact it's had on my life. And um, iRacing is the best, most realistic um, whether it's on PC console, it reigns supreme when it comes to being as close as you're going to get to driving a real race car, or knowing or feeling what a race car might, might be like from the comfort of your own home. So um, I'm a big fan of it, big supporter of it. And it, it does annoy Amy sometimes with how much time I spend on there, but it is in times like this, uh, you know, it certainly is something that I enjoy doing and, I can get on there and race uh, and, and for a moment forget about everything that else is happening in the world. And um, that's kind of nice. But, uh, you know, it, it definitely is something I've been a big fan of. Denny, um, we started a league. This was two, 20 years ago. Oh, oh three yeah. or two or something. Uh, yeah, we started a league uh, and with a bunch of people, and he, he was part of that league, and we would race weekly. And uh, we all communicated and chatted and talked uh, regularly every single night, pretty much. And uh, that's how I got to know him. I knew that he uh, worked for his family's trailer business. He was a racer himself in Virginia in late models. He was very successful. And through that friendship, um, once he, he came to me one day and said, hey, uh, I've got an opportunity to talk to Gibbs. I got a meeting with them in Daytona and I've got to drive to Daytona, got to get down there and meet with them. But I got nowhere to stay and I'd like to kind of come hang out. It, it was during the Daytona 500 Speed Weeks in 2004. 
Yeah. And he said, I'd like to come hang out a little bit uh, if I could, but I got nowhere to stay. And I said, you can crash on the bus. All right. Just sleep on the couch one night, two nights, many nights as you need. Go to your meeting, do everything you need. I'll be coming in and out. Don't worry about me. And um, I hardly saw him, but um, he stayed on the bus and we won the race in uh, on Sunday, the Daytona 500, biggest day in my life. And then he came to victory lane and <laughs> Uh, we got done with all the Victor Lane celebration and he's standing there and I said, here, take the trophy back to the bus. It's your responsibility. <laughs> so he's on the golf cart uh, with my bus driver driving the, the Daytona 500 trophy back to uh, back to the bus to make sure it got home safe while I took off and did media and whatnot. But um, it's a pretty cool story because Denny eventually, I, you know, honestly, I was I was hoping that you know, Denny was a hot commodity back then, very successful. And I was hoping that DEI might have a chance to get Denny. Um, there's a lot of great stories about Denny, Kyle Busch, other drivers where DEI was trying to make a little play there. But um, he ended up getting the job at Gibbs, obviously, and racing in their Xfinity car and moving on the cup and having a successful career. And, um, you know, we became competitors. We became – we still remained friendly, but we became competitors on the track. And, and so that socializing or, or, or racing together online and the, the friendship that we had – sort of went away and and now it's kind of all come back full circle because uh we raced at homestead came down to uh, in the simulation the other week on fox we raced at homestead and came down to me and him battling for the win and after the race we're texting back and forth and i'm like man you know could you can you believe this you know 20 years later here we are racing online again and it's me and you and uh boy it felt great it felt like old times and sure was uh something I think, you know, that me and him really enjoyed and, and a lot of other people seem to enjoy it as well. Could you imagine his emotion after winning the Daytona 500 for the first time and thinking, man, I used to carry, I carried Dale Jr.'s trophy back for him. How, how that became such a big circle that he's been living in. Yeah. You know, Denny's life is, uh, you know, pretty interesting. Um, and, and we've gotten to see a little bit of that over the last couple of years. There's been a couple great pieces uh, put together about Denny's career as a, you know, as a race car driver when he started out. Um, the, he still has those race cars, you know, that uh, you know, he has this whole four-cylinder uh, mini stock or whatever uh, that, that he raced that Joe Gibbs had restored. And, and, and it's just really cool uh, how his family put everything, you know, devoted themselves into Denny's racing and Denny, uh, had the, you know, the, the, the determination, you know, to go out there and, and try to make a name for himself and win. And, and I'm sure when he's winning late model races, uh, you know, up in Virginia and, and so forth and doing that on a regular basis, um, I'm sure he was wondering like, how can I get this next chance? Where's the next chance coming from, you know? And, and luckily Gibbs was able to see that potential in him and, and recruit him. And so, you know, his story is really unique, and, and uh, he's a interesting guy, great friend of yours. I know you and him spend a lot of time together golfing and, and hanging out. And uh, Denny's just, I, you know, he's just a funny guy. I always, and I always enjoy, <laughs> you know, how he approaches life and his sort of outlook to life is different uh, than, than most people. And, um, you know, he's, he's – uh, but his story, you know, is his personal story with his family, his father, and, and how they, how, how that all worked out. It's for him to tell, you know, it's not, not for me to tell, but how he raced at home, how they built their program, and how he and his father sort of interacted early in his cup career, Xfinity career, and all that um, is a very personal experience for Denny and shaped the person that he is today. You know, I'm, I'm interested to, to hear your thoughts on that because um, I think, Denny, you and I each have differing, interesting stories <laughs> that uh, got us to, to NASCAR and to be able to win some races uh, for me here and there. But when I was born, my brother was gone. He was off being a racer, and um, I lived in Kentucky. So the only – I just got glimpses of him and wanting to be just like him. He was my hero. With Denny, it was all hands-on from his family, but but he didn't have a famous brother out there. And for you, I think, you know, Dale was busy being a race car driver in your formative years as well. Um, how, how, how interesting is that, 
the fact that we, we, we were able to all achieve success, but all went about in the beginning much differently. Yeah, I think about that too with other drivers as well, like Matt Kenseth. I'm so I, I really didn't think about this or, or or care about it so much when I was younger. But now that I am, you know, 45 years old, a couple years removed from being a driver, and I can look back at you know that that my past, my my story, uh, how I uh, worked through uh, to get those opportunities, and 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 I look, I think about Matt Kenseth and and. And Denny, I love seeing footage of those guys at their home track, racing their late model, their street stock, whatever it is. I love seeing Kyle Busch running at the bull ring in his legends car. You know, it really humanizes these guys. Yeah. And it it really gives you an understanding of the steps and the 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 things they things they have to do to try to get those, you know, get, get how they learn, how they cut their teeth, how they ground through those early years in their career. They weren't grinding in their mind in that moment uh they were just racing and having fun and and processing and learn, going to the next racetrack or going to the next race the next week but to look back at it now it's really fun to see the different paths that people have taken and it's fun to see them in those early years before before the fame the money the stardom because that's really uh the 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 core of their personality the core of their person um is is who they were back then so that person's in there right and and it's fun to see uh, when you get that chance to to see some of that old footage, and 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 a lot of that's been popping up over the last couple of years as we try to tell the story of these drivers of who they are. You know, that's our best asset in this sport is the personalities and the drivers, and really who they are. How can we take that driver and 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 help you relate to him and help you connect to him uh, and understand him uh, as you know, he could have been the guy next door uh, because Denny was the guy next door for somebody at some point um, in their lives. And I, I think that's interesting too. You say how it shapes you. There's a great picture I saw it on Twitter. I looked for it this morning and I couldn't find it. But of me pitting my car at Richmond in 1990, I think you and I texted back and forth and decided, and you were there being a pit crew member for your dad, rolling yeah. the tire in and, and, uh, and then, so I love that story, and I, I love that that's who you were and how the crew loved you and embraced you, you had your uniform. Uh, are those just fond memories? How do you look back on those times? I wish I remembered them more fi- uh, more, more easily. Um, you know, it's hard to it, – it's hard to – when I see those pictures of me running around on the racetrack, I, you know, I can't, I can't go, oh, man, I remember that day uh, or, or rolling that tire – um, but, uh, you know, it just seems like a, a million years ago, so much has happened in my life from that moment to now that, uh, I just, there's no way to keep it all up there. And I love seeing those pictures cause it does remind me of, it does remind me of, of how long I've been going to the track, you know, and, and it gives me, it gives me some sort of confidence in my ability to speak on it right to talk about my experiences today and and how I view the sport because yeah I was there uh for the majority of my life and uh, I've seen it from a lot of different perspectives I've seen it from that little kid wearing the uniform rolling the tire or uh driving us from the seat of a street stock car at Concord or, or late mile stock car at Myrtle Beach or Nashville Fairgrounds and you know I've seen it from a lot of different positions and all the way to the broadcast booth today and so um, I've been, I love, I'm, I feel extremely lucky and blessed to have had so many perspectives. Uh, obviously the success at any point during the time of my career was awesome, but to be able to see the sport from so many vantage points and has been a real blessing to me and gave me a ton of appreciation for, um, for what the sport is, who it is, how it, how it works, how many moving parts there are into keeping this whole machine going. Um, but yeah, my path was different. I, I had a lot. People always ask me, you know, is there, you know, was it tough being D- Dale Earnhardt Jr.? And I, my answer to that is always absolutely not. I had so many doors open to me because of that. Dad's, dad's, you know, success opened so many doors to me it's in comparison to Matt Kenseth, who had to open every single door himself. Um, you know, I compare myself to Matt a lot because we came up together. We raced in the Xfinity Series neck and neck. We raced for the rookie year in the cup. Race, our careers were sort of 
happening right there in lockstep with each other. And we always chatted about that and communicated with each other about how each other was handling these certain situations. Um, and his was the complete opposite of mine as far as how he got there. Um, but, you know, I, I, I really, um, I really enjoyed, you know, those, my, my path and, and the things that I got to do. And dad, uh, I appreciate this about him. I'm mad about it now because um, I could, I think back about my, I think back in my late model days and I think, man, I could have had so much more success if there was somebody around that knew something about that race car. Cause I didn't know nothing about it. And, you know, with, with all due respect, everybody that I was going to the track with had about the same amount of knowledge as I did. So we didn't always, you know, run the best, but we learned so much. And, you know, if dad would have maybe put one guy in there that had a little bit of sense about, you know, caster camber and, and, and bump steer and things like that, I might've actually had a little more success than I did for those four years. I was floundering around in the short tracks in my late model, but you know, he wanted me to, he wanted me to, if I was, if I was going to make it that he would, you know, if, he, if, if I was worth the investment of his time uh, to go beyond a late model car, he would be able to know, uh, whether I was worth that time or that investment by putting me in that situation that he put me in. It was, I didn't know it was frustrating or tough at the time, but uh, man, I went to Nashville fairgrounds and it was, I got to choose the springs and the, and the nose weight and the, and the, and the wedge. I mean, I was, I had no business trying to set the car up to make it fast. When we did, we, you know, we got close a couple of times, but man, if I'd have had somebody with any sense, we might've, we might've, won a lot more races back then because I didn't know whether I was going to make it at all, Michael. We were running, I ran 159 late model races and I think I won three. And I'm thinking, man, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I really wanted to do this for a living and I don't know if it's going to happen, you know? And then we got in the Xfinity car and I got around some people that knew something about race cars and we took off, you know, and won a yeah. bunch of races and championships. And I'm like, oh, I can do it. You just, <laughs> you, know, so, you need to you needed someone to introduce you to Mr. Ackerman. I mean, just yes. whoever that guy was, if you even knew what that meant, right? I know, right? Oh man, I ran like a whole, I ran a whole year without bump steering my car. And uh, boy, when I bump steered my car the first time, I went back to the track, I went, how come nobody told me about this? This is way better, right? The whole car, the car went through the middle of the corner like it never went through there before. And I'm like, golly. And I yeah. look back, that's the worst thing. I'm 45 years old now and I look back with all the knowledge I have today, I look back and think about that late model experience in, in the mid-90s and, you know, going to the track with a pair of 800s and a pair of 225s every single week because I didn't know what else to put in it. Uh, man, if I'd, I had a chance to do it all over again, right? I don't know, man. It turned out all right. Uh, yeah, it did. Those, those struggles probably helped help define you because, you know, uh, when I read somewhere where you said that you were racing a late model in 1996 – and you didn't take time to enjoy it because you were worried yeah. about everything. And, and that's just a racer in you, isn't it? Like if you had a chance to, you win one race and you think, well, now I got to win another one. And, and I got to get to NASCAR. I got to make it. Yeah, I remember uh, that's, that is true. I always, when I was getting ready to retire from uh, the Cup Series, my, I was like, man, I'm going back to late models and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to go back and, and, and have fun because I, there's a lot of fun that I didn't have because I was too worried about um, whether I was going to be racing again, you know, a year from now. And so um, I went to, we had, this was probably 1996 or seven, uh, Wrangler came on board to send us to Charlotte Motor Speedway in the Xfinity car. And, um, so we went over to the racetrack on Friday and I'm really, really nervous. And I, this is, I am in way over my head, like getting thrown into the deep end, not knowing how to swim. And, um, this is way beyond me. So we're at the racetrack and we're in the old garage that didn't have a roof. You know, there's just cars and trucks parked everywhere. And we're just, you know, we're parked in right behind our little hauler and gooseneck trailer and, um, we ain't got no stuff, right? We ain't got springs and sway bars and we ain't got no box or nothing. We just got the car and the setup we brought and a, and a little bit of electricity and some air. And, um, we go out there and practice and, and, um, 
and we're pretty good. We're in the top 10 in practice times, uh, and practice is going on for about 30, 45 minutes, and we're still sitting around eighth or so, and I'm thinking, man, this is great. Uh, and so we went, we're like, okay, well, let's go make a, a qualifying run. Qualifying's coming up later today. Let's go make a run. And we didn't know any better, so we left our 30-lap race tires on there and taped it off. And I went out there and wrecked and uh, spun out off the four, and I'm spinning around and around and around and around, and bang, back into the fence. And uh, pull in the garage. I want to cry, and I wanted to hide in a hole. I could, If there was a hole in the ground, I'd have climbed in it. And um, that was it. You know, we, we didn't have another car, and I'd wrecked in front of everybody, and my dad and all his buddies down there in the cup garage was watching and and so he's embarrassed in front of all his peers and so we went home uh i got in my car with a buddy of mine and i drove to my house and i, I didn't you know we, we loaded the car up and i i left and so i imagine that they're taking the car back to the shop i live right across the street in the shop in a double wide trailer and me and my buddies went there and i grabbed a bottle of vodka and set it down on the on the uh, on the table in front of me and, and was going to drink. And so we're sitting there, me and my friends, and it's like the biggest piggity party you ever seen in your life. And then the door flies open, the back door to the, to the double wide flies open. It's about an hour later, right? Later, you know, four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Boom, door slams open. Boom, boom, boom. I know it's dad immediately because I can hear the footsteps. And he walks in and sees me and my two buddies sitting there on the couch with a bottle of vodka in front of us and flew off the handle, rightfully so. Um, and he tells them guys to get their, get in their car and leave. Uh, it's probably best for them to do. <laughs> and they did. And he took me out on the back steps and we sat down. And so we had a conversation, and I've talked about this before, but we had a conversation. Um, he goes, man, what are you doing? And I said, why my career's over with? I'm sitting here thinking about that, you know. As far as I know, I just wrecked, and I don't know that I'm going to get another chance to, to try again, you know. It, it's over. And he's like, it ain't over there. You know, they took your car back to the shop, and those boys are over there cutting the body off of it now to send it off to get, get it fixed. You should be over there doing that. Why, did, why wasn't that your – instinct you know to go be with the car and do what they're doing with the car you know and it just wasn't my instinct to do that and I wish it was I wish my instinct was to how we get how we gonna fix this right but my instinct was to go well that's the end oh well you know I don't have I'll never get another shot and so we sat on that back porch and man we talked for an hour and uh just about um that's not the end you know you're your there'll be other opportunities um you know he wasn't going to say i'm going to put you in the car next week or i'm going to put you're going to michigan to race or what he wasn't making plans like hardcore plans but he's like man you gotta there'll be another shot you gotta keep trying you gotta you gotta want to fix that car and you gotta if you show that initiative to want it people will get behind that if you if you're gonna mope and be you know this is the end of the world nobody's going to want to join that party you know nobody's want to get want to get behind that so it was dad never that was the most dad thing that Dale Earnhardt ever did and he wasn't ever he put his arm around you now he's you know he would put his arm around you and tell you he's proud of you or needle you about things and and push you to do right or whatever in his way but he never did those, you know, we never had that sort of hallmark moment or, or, or conversation about things, uh, life, uh, until that time, you know, in that moment. And so, um, that was really nice because typically his response would be to fly off the handle in, in anger, you know, and he's just so disappointed in my decision to go in there and sit down and drink vodka, uh, instead of fixing that car he would just be so angry and frustrated and want to just stomp his feet. Uh, that would be his typical reaction to something like that. But he stopped and thought and like, you know, let's have a conversation. Let's talk this out. And I want to help him. And it was great. It really did help me. I think from there on, um, you know, I was on the phone with other, I got on, you know, after that, 
you know, we did fix and repair the car. Um, Tony senior and them, uh, were getting rid of a car, uh, at one point later that year. And I was like, Hey, can I have that car? What, uh, you're, you're, you don't want it no more. I'll take it. I was calling owners going, Hey, do you got a guy that's going to drive your car this weekend? I'd love to be the guy driving it. You know, I would never do that before. Um, so his, his sort of pep talk and, and conversation gave me a lot of a different perspective on, on what I should be doing and how I should be thinking about, you know, getting that next opportunity. And, you know, it was a, it was a groundbreaking moment for me. And I think it was the, maybe it was the first of many of those moments for you because I saw how proud your dad was of you as you matured. And, you know, I used to just wonder because I wondered about this myself is, does he, is he happy with me because I'm doing good or does he, does he like me? Uh, what's the situation? But I'm glad I heard that story because it seems like at that moment it changed you and you went out and did the things that, that you've been able to do uh, because of your father's uh, direction. I wanted to always make him, you know, you, uh, I, I think I always wanted to please him. I always wanted to make him happy, proud. Um, I wasn't, up until that point, I wasn't doing a lot of, I wasn't showing a lot of initiative. I was, he used, he used the word initiative a lot, uh, determination and initiative. He wanted you, if you wanted to drive a race car in a shop, you should go in there and introduce yourself by sweeping that floor, cleaning up tools, picking up stuff. And he, he's like, look, the only way you're going to get anybody's respect in this building is by showing initiative and in his, in his mind, that meant if, you know, if, if somebody's leaving out tools after they got a job done, go behind and clean them up or just do anything that you saw necessary. Uh, and that's how you got, you know, you got your opportunities and grew. And I'm like, damn, I got to start that. I got to start at the bottom, like sweeping the floor. Ain't you got to, got to do that. You know, I was, I was totally, I didn't have it all figured out. And um, you know, he wanted, he, he would help you as much as he could if he knew you appreciated it and if he yeah. knew you were worth it. Right. And if he knew that you would work for it. And so it took me a long time to get that and understand that. Um, you know, I worked at the dealership for a while and I was, uh, I was sort of on that path to become a service mechanic in a, in a dealership. And, um, I didn't really have any interest in uh, being a service writer or a desk or pen and paper kind of guy. I wanted to be a guy with the toolbox and, and, and I could fix, I wanted to fix cars. And uh, I, you know, he gave me a chance. I got fired from that job, but he gave me a chance to. Uh, Wait, wasn't it me, his dealership? It was. Yeah. He still got fired. I, um, yeah. So, and he was surprised that I got fired, but um, I, you know, I worked really I worked, I felt like I took a ton of pride in that job and I kept my, I, I kept my toolbox, my vice, my table, my bay, everything spotless. I kept, uh, everything organized, uh, filters and all that stuff in my, in my cabinet, uh, organized. I really spent a lot of time taking a lot of pride in that job and doing that job well and quickly. Um, and I had a disagreement about, they were going to have a, uh, we were going to have a meeting after hours. And I said, you know, one of the guys in the shop, one of the other mechanics came up to me and said, you ought to say something. This ain't right. They're keeping us after work and we can't be on the clock. I, don't, I ain't going to sit around here if I ain't getting paid. And so I went, yep, I'll go in there and I'll straighten this out. Right. As I walked in there to the service manager and I said, you know what? I ain't staying around here if I can't be on the clock. He said, well, I ain't, I ain't letting you stay on the clock. So do whatever you think you need to do. And so I left and uh, they had their meeting. And I wasn't there. And I came back the next day and he said, Hey, you need to think about how much you want this job, how important it is to you and take about a week off to think about it. I said, okay. Um, and so I, I walked down the hill to the collision center and I got on the phone with dad and I said, Hey, and these are honest to God, the words I used, I said, I do not want your help. I'm not calling you to to fix this, but I just want you to know, the service manager sending me home for a week and I told him why and everything that happened. And the reason why I called dad was because the drive to the drive from my house to the dealership was 45 minutes. And if I drove home 
And dad said, what are you doing here? Get back to work. And uh, hey, he's coming back up there to work. Now I drove up there twice in one day. That's almost $15, $20, $10, something of gas. I ain't got that kind of money to be spending. Um, I wasn't making a whole lot of money uh, changing oil at the dealership. So I couldn't afford to be hustling up and down the road. And I called him. I said, I don't want you to fix this. I'm just letting you know they're sending me home. And he said, well, how about go back in there and tell him you're working or you ain't working. Tell him, tell him, man, I'm going to work or I'm not working. You make up your mind. And I said, okay. So I went back in there. I never even told the guy that I talked to dad, right? I probably could have, maybe I should have, but I probably would have still had the job. But he said, I said, Hey man, I'm, I'm working or I'm not working. You just make up your mind whether you need me or not. And he said, you should probably just get somebody to help you load your toolbox up. Cause I don't need you. And, and so he fired me. I got my toolbox loaded up in my little S10 pickup truck with uh, one of the mechanics and I drove home and I pulled into the shop and dad goes, dang, he fired you. And I said, he fired me. I told him, uh, you know, I was either working out or what. And, and he said, all right, get on out of here. And he goes, man, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> That's what he said. And that, I, I, I don't think that guy lasted another couple months, but. Wouldn't, have, wouldn't think so. Dad was like didn't... shocked, you know, that the guy fired me. And I said, yeah, he fired me. I was making like after taxes, $130 or something a week. And, um, it wasn't much, but, um, it was a lot back then, you know, for, for nobody, for me. Um, so, and me and my brother, Carrie, we lived in a double wide together and we split the utilities, but, uh, he was a service writer. He wrote to service, you know, you came in, man, my car's broke. He would write up the service writer and hand it to the mechanic. He was doing that job at the dealership. So we both worked there. Um, Dad said, you know, I'll put you to work here. You can work here. And he paid me twice as much as I was working at the dealership. And I got to work on Kelly's race car. Kelly was racing late models at Hickory and Tri-County. And he put me working on her cars. And I got to build her a car. Um, so here I am now working on race cars uh, every day and getting paid to do it. I was in heaven. It was so perfect uh, for me to be able to do that and learn so much. Um, to be working, you know, working on a race car every day just was awesome. I loved it. And I never thought that that was ever going to happen to me, but, um, you know, eventually, you know, I was working on Kelly's car and going to the racetrack with her. And then I would race, uh, race my own cars. They were, they were at another shop down in Union County, but, um, yeah, that was a crazy time. Um, that was a crazy time, but, uh, you know, I worked on my own late models, all through the last couple of years, I raced, set them up, took them to the track. I had I had some help. Wesley Sherrill and a couple other people would would come and help, but we all about knew the same amount of information, and uh, you know we would all huddle together and decide what we were going to change or do. And 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 we had a blast driving up down the road every every weekend. We raced it. Uh, Florence, uh, South Carolina on Friday nights. And then we'd race at the beach, Myrtle beach on Saturday nights. And when those racetracks were off, we'd go to Nashville fairgrounds, which was a blast in a late model stock car. Um, so much fun. Those are some really fond memories of going to the Nashville fairgrounds. We'd, we'd drive up there, man. And we'd stop about halfway in the mountains and jump in the Creek and, uh, cut the trip in half, you know, and, and, and goof off and have fun. That sounds awesome. But I, I, you were kind enough to have me on your Dell Junior download last year. And I have an update for you I want to share uh, concerning Mr. Robert Presley. Yeah. Um, on your show, I told you that I thought he wrecked me on purpose that day in Bristol, which, by mm -hmm. the way, is third, 30 years ago this week, uh, which wow. boggles my mind. But uh, so I go with Phil Parsons and we go down to the Southern 500 because we want to see all the throwback schemes and say hi to everybody. And they've got a group of uh, retired drivers and people going up on the stage. You were there and, you know, you're, you're just getting recognized for being an old racer, I guess. And yeah. so I'm standing sort of in the crowd with Phil. Phil and I went down together and I noticed Robert. He spotted me and, and I see him working his way through the crowd. And, and I'm kind of working my way the other way because I knew exactly by the, it was just shortly after we did the podcast that I could tell by the look in his eyes, he's, He's wanting to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I finally shuffled my way all the way around to a corner I couldn't get out of. And he came up to me and he said, Michael, I didn't wreck you on purpose that day. I did not do that. And, uh, but, but we had a big laugh out of it. And, and uh, it was because of, I haven't talked to him in years. And because I did your show, it brought us 
back together. So uh, I love that. I to say thank you for that and share that, share that funny story with you. <laughs> I love that. I love the way that the, um, I, you know, your, your show does the exact same thing. Um, it brings out these conversations and memories and s- stories and you, you're surprised. I'm surprised, you know, that Robert would watch it or hear it or it would get to him. And, and, and then it brings those conversations back. And I miss all those guys, you know, I didn't know Robert really well. I didn't race against Robert a lot, but I love being able to go back. I don't know why I love it so much, but you know, why that has gotten stronger over the last couple of years, but I love being able to see some of the guys that race from the seventies, eighties and nineties and be able to sit with them for a moment and just see them, you know, put my eyes on them. But uh, we did, we're doing a little show um, called lot. Well, it's, it's, it's a speed, it's a lost speedways kind of show about ghost tracks. And we go to Asheville and uh, Robert helped us a lot with that show. So I got to spend the whole afternoon with him and what a character that guy is. Yes, he is that. And a, a really, a really, he was a hard racer too. His family grew up that way. And that's just the, the way he was born. Speaking of history, uh, today in 2003, you won your fourth straight race at Talladega. Now, um, that's an incredible accomplishment to finish four straight races at Talladega. But uh, what a what a role DEI was on back in the day. And I tell people all the time that Dale, your dad, just knew how important a car was. And, oh, they're, they're important everywhere. But he just wouldn't let any detail go unturned when it came to tuning the engine, the tuning the cars for Daytona and Talladega. I think that our inspiration to win at those places because we knew he expected us to to do that and um, second was not an option and seeing you get those four in a row that was that was pretty incredible that meant a lot to me because i uh, uh so joe whitlock he used to be a journalist uh and he was a lot of things in nascar but um he was writing for grand national scene um back in the uh back in the day and and I would go over to his house and talk to him and and uh spend a lot of time around him him and dad were friends uh back in the 80s and so forth but Joe Whitlock uh had these two cassette tapes in his house and they had highlights from all these races in the 70s on them and he gave it to me and it was eventually uh what we used to make the TV show back in the day um, Bud Lindemann put this show together called Car and Track uh, uh, or something like that back in the 70s. And he would go and film with multiple cameras the races uh, before they were on TV. And he would cut them into like 20-minute highlight reels. And on that you know, cassette tape was Buddy Baker winning three in a row at Talladega and in Bud Moore's uh, number 15 car. So uh, Bud, Buddy Baker won three in a row at Talladega in the 70s. And I thought, uh, you know, I'd won three in a row and I thought, man, if I could win four in a row, that'd be really cool. I don't, you know, I'm not going to break a lot of records in this sport. Um, a lot of the record, you know, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, but man, here I can have one, I can have a record of my own, right? This will be cool. This will be cool. So, uh, that ended up working out and ended up winning four in a row. It's something I'm extremely proud of. Um, I think, you know, that we had really good cars back then. We had, we had me and you both were were partnered or paired with crew chiefs that put a lot of emphasis on the plate cars, and they also knew really how to get a lot of speed out of those cars. And they they didn't work transparently together, but they 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 watched each other and and took from each other to to get better too. I think both of our teams sort of elevated each other in a way, and we also that was also around the time where we were really reaping the benefits of the, the RAD program, um, where Richard Childers, Andy Petrie, and dad had put together a program to spend time either in with motors, wind tunnels, and whatnot to get everything they could out of the cars and motors and bodies and share that information among the three teams. And when you see, you know, you would see that performance out of Andy's cars. Um, you would see them do well at the plate tracks, uh, you know, the, the children's cars ran well, and when we obviously ran well as, as a team, too. Um, the other thing, uh, you know, to that uh, is you were always a really good plate racer. Um, 
I was too, you know, and you put me and you in great cars as teammates where we can, you know, take care of each other or help each other and, and do things like that. That was an advantage that we shared. Uh, and both of us won some races together doing that. Uh, so it all, all those ingredients kind of came together to, to, uh, to help us show up, you know, for quite a while there uh, with, with some of the best cars. And, and if we did our job and, and took care of them, we were going to have a chance, really, really good chance of winning those races. And so I took, I took that, uh, I, we went, I don't know how to articulate this, but I went to Hendrick Motorsports, right? And they do everything great, right? They're a great company. They're very, very successful. Championships, championships, championships. They're just awesome. Uh, but I was sitting with Steve Letarte, and uh, I said, Steve, we went out and test together. Uh, and I got off the track, and I came in there, and I said, Steve, this car won't do anything I want it to do. I'm not going to have a chance to win this race unless I can get this car to be more effective. And, and, and it's not, you know, when, it, it's, when it's in certain positions, it's terrible at what at its job. It's really bad. And um, and I said, I said, you know, he's he's like, well, you know, you're really good at this, and and you'll figure it out. And I was like, you know, why I'm I'm good at it, but I also need a car good as I am, right? You know. And so we had a conversation, and 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 he put an emphasis on all the little things and they, they, you know, they, they had this before, but you know, I didn't come in here and change the culture at HMS. That's not what I'm saying. But between me and Steve, we had a conversation and I said, I really, you know, I really need you to, 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 to be a detail guy when it comes to building this plate car, you're going to spend three months on this thing in the off season, getting it ready for the Daytona 500. I need every detail, every stone over and every, anything that you think, any, no matter how small and, and, and frivolous it may appear or be, I want you to do it. And so he had this long thing, you know, he had this long thing that he, he sort of went through and did to the cars and um, immediately the cars responded, you know, and we had fast cars. We went to Daytona and won a Daytona 500 and won at da Talladega, um, you know, and that carried over to, to, uh, you know, to, to more wins and more success at those racetracks. And, you know, plate racing, uh, there's two, there's, there's, there's two ways to go about it. You know, you can, you can approach plate racing, like, you know, all the cars are equal. I, I don't have a little lot of control over this. I'm just going to hope for the best, miss all the crashes and maybe we'll be there at the end and have a shot at winning. Or, you can really turn over every stone and, and check every box and do every little tedious thing to the car and go there and give your driver a little more of an advantage over the next guys. And when he has the car that does all the things, when he has a car that he knows and has confidence in, he's more apt to take the risk of making a move or pulling out the pass. or do, He's going to drive with offense instead of driving defensively. If you're a plate racer and you're driving defensively, it's miserable. And you're not doing anything to put yourself going forward. You're doing everything to try to maintain where you're at. You're never going to win a lot of races like, like that. And if you're a driver that has every bit of confidence in, in your car that it can do everything you want it to do, and even then some, you're willing to take those risks with that car and go after every run that it creates. Um, and so, you know, we that's sort of the – that's sort of the approach that I like to have with plate racing. And I think that that's the one we had back in DEI. They did every little thing they could to get power out of the motors, the teams and, and, and crew chiefs, Tony senior, Tony junior, they all did every little thing they could to the body, to the chassis, to anything that they could try to tweak or fix or, or rig, they would do it, you know, and that's how you win races, those plate races. Cause all the cars aren't the same, you know, all it's, it's not a level playing field. You got to try to find that advantage. You got to try to set yourself apart, even when the you know the draft's trying to neutralize it. Interesting that you say that because you've had a lot of success with uh, with your team winning Daytona this past February with Noah Gregson. So that direction uh, has been passed down from your dad. And and to me, the the Rad pro program was before its time. I mean, they were brilliant to share that information and and then have the success that we had as racers. Obviously. Um, uh, I'm, I'm beside myself about 
you know, your dad. And I really want to know, you know, what you think the world would be like around here if he was still here. People ask me that a lot and I try to get my arms around it, but it makes me cry. So I don't really spend a lot of time thinking of it, but uh, he was a tremendous leader and uh, he's, he's, he, I, I dearly miss him as I know you and your family do as well. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, the whole, every, everything would be uh, completely different for me if he were here um and uh you know i don't really know i can't even imagine you know my life is so completely i'm so far down the road of life and how it is since he's passed that i can't even it's i can't even imagine i can't even bring myself to imagine a, a world with him in it uh, or what what that world would look like or where i would be or what i would be doing or what 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 kind of person I would have become, um, but I do I do think about you know man I I wish that he could have met Amy I really wish that Dad could have met Amy. Um, it's for the same reason that I don't know how this is going to sound, but for the same kind of the same way that you know I was I wish he could have seen me win this race or be a Daytona 500 champion. I wanted to be make, I wanted to make him proud, you know, and I think that he would see Amy and go, I'm really proud of Dale Jr. You know, he's, he's making a good choice here. Cause boy, he was really vocal to me about the girls that I would go out with when I was, when he was around and I would take the girl, you know, go out with girls. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, man, this is a good looking girl. I'm going to take her by dad's, uh, by the farm and introduce her to dad. And I take a girl over there and I just say, you know, Hey, here's dad, this dad, dad, the girl. Um, and he would, you know, I'd, I'd get on down the road and do whatever we were going to do that night and see dad the next day. And he'd go, ah, I don't like her. I don't know. Something about her. You know, he'd have some reason, you know, and so critical. Uh, you're, you're, I think it's a bad decision to keep going out with her. I wouldn't do it. Um, but I think that he would have been really, uh, him and Amy would have really got along great. They, it would have been tougher on me because they it would have been both of them cracking on me and giving me a hard time about, you know, staying up late, racing online, and doing things like that. But I think he really, really, really liked Amy. And obviously, you know, I, I, I would have loved to have uh, shared, you know, my uh, – Isla, you know, with – you know, and seeing how dad was with her and what he thought. I don't know, you know, what whether we would talk about – uh, you know, me as a father and, uh, doing those things, you know, <sighs> it sucks that, uh, you know, he, he, he can't see it. I mean, I'm, maybe he can see all this. Maybe he is looking down and, and, and proud and, uh, think, you know, loving everything he's seeing, but, um, it was so, it was so easy and, and nice to be able to have his direction, you know, to have him walk in the room and go, why are you doing it that way? This is the way you ought to do it. Um, because he was always, that was his strongest, most, uh, most impressive attribute was his common sense, his, his problem solving. And man, this is how you ought to fix that. That's easy. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd be sitting there stressing over something for hours and he'd come in there and just go, Boop, there it is fixed. Yeah. And, uh, so I missed that a lot. Um, and I'm sure, you know, he could have fixed a lot of decisions that I made in my life, um, that I had to make on my own, but. Um, I know that he, you know, I know that him and Amy would have got along really well. And I, I so badly wish that she could have met him because I can spend hours and hours and hours sharing photos and talking to her about him or taking her to talk to Richard Childress or, or you, or I can take her and do all these things and she, we can watch videos or whatever, but she'll never really know him, you know, what it was like to sit in a room with him. Um, what his presence was like. Um, I wish so badly that she could know that and experience, uh, experience that for herself. Um, because, you know, I love her and I, I, I want her to know me and him and all those things. And, and it's, uh, it's not going to happen, but, um, I don't know, you know, people, people always ask me all the time about what, 
what would what would racing be like? I don't know. I don't really. I can't even answer that. What 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 his influence would have been on the sport and how that might have shaped it to what it is today? Can't even can't even go there. Well, when Amy hears you talk about him like that and how much you respected him and appreciated him, I'm sure she's gonna she's gonna anytime you do, she's gonna know him better than she did yeah. before. Um, our time together was was special to me, um, and obviously. Um, it, it didn't all turn out the way we wanted it to, but there's a Bible verse that my sister-in-law Stevie shared with me and, and it paraphrases, but it basically says in the blink of an eye, if you believe you're in the presence of the Lord. And I just take comfort in that when Dale saw that wall come and he said, Oh, here I come, God, here I come, Lord, make room for me. Uh, <laughs> and, and in the blink of an eye, he was, you know, in the presence of the Lord. And I just wanted to say, thank you. Uh, so much for for doing my movie with me uh it wouldn't have been able to i wouldn't have been proud of it if you weren't a part of it uh because you were such a big part of of the story so thank you for that it's been received so well i've gotten so many messages about people that say that i've i've you and i've helped them uh, overcome some of their adversities because of our perseverance so i know that um I know that's special to me. I'm sure it means the world to you as well. It does. You know, it, um, I, um, you know, I, I know that, you know, you and dad were great friends and I know that, uh, you know, you've been, you've been affected by, um, his passing and, and, and how, how, who the, the role you played, unwillingly in all that, you know, really affected you personally and even still does today. And so I hope that the, the movie that uh, you created in the blink of an eye, I hope that that somehow helps you and gives you some peace. And, and um, because you're a really great guy, Michael, and you know, the, there's so many people that love you and, and, uh, want you to be happy and I know you're happy I know you do things that you enjoy and you golf and you have good days and I see smile I see a smile on your face a lot but um, you know there's a part of your heart that's bro that's broken and and in your mind it's always going to be broken but I hope that you know this experience with making this show uh, in the blink of an eye has been a, a healing you know process for you in some way and gave you some comfort because um, you, you know, I think you're hard on yourself. Uh, you, you, you take that whole experience very, very personally. And, um, you know, I just, I just want you to enjoy your life. And so, uh, you know, I think that this experience has been good. I think it's been good for you. And that's what I think about it. When I think about the movie, that's where I go. I, I, you know, I know people are going to enjoy it. I know you did a great job. It's very proper production. It's well done. Um, and I hope it has just all the success it can have because it's a great story and I certainly want more and more people to see it and hear it. Um, but I hope of any, out of anything that it, um, gives you comfort, you know, and gives Michael, uh, you as a person, uh, some some relief uh you know because i know that just been being around you and when we you know we're talking about dad and sharing stories and so forth i can tell that you're hurting and, and even after all this time it's as it's as painful as as it was when it happened and and um you know and and we all deal with these things differently um and i know other people uh, close to me that are equally as 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 uh troubled or or equally as frustrated with how this has affected them. Uh, and so you're not alone in that, but, um, you know, I just hope that this, this movie really gives you some peace, man. It's gotta make you feel great that you've done a good thing, you know, and I know that in your heart that that's all you want is to be doing good things to help, you know, to, to sh shed a light on something you believe is good or, or share a moment that you feel, uh, people need to know. And you want to share with how, you know, you want to share with people how, great dad was or how much he meant to you and all those things right so um you're doing that it's succeeding it's working and i hope that all of the words that you're hearing from people the positive reaction that you're hearing from people 
is making you feel good and making you feel like, um, you know, you can move, you can move beyond this and, and enjoy yourself. Well, times like this, when I get to talk with you, my friend, and, and just, um, hear your insight it it I learned something that I didn't know I knew about the wrecked car at Charlotte and you having a bottle of vodka in the double wide I didn't <laughs> know about the talk on the back porch that that really sent you in a different direction so again just a blessing to to be able to talk with friends and share these stories with the viewers at home um, I, I love you I uh, hope Isla and Amy and, and the new baby are, are well, and you guys are handling these troubled times as best you can, but certainly appreciate you, you taking some time to, to chat with me this morning and, um, and, uh, it really means a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah, buddy. I love you too. And, uh, you know, we're doing great. Uh, just hope everybody out there is, is hanging in there. It's really a lot of anxiety out there. Everybody worrying about, um, themselves and their families and, and um, just hoping the best for everyone. I'm hoping that this all turns the corner and, and the world can get back, uh, you know, to work and people can get back to providing for their families and doing everything they need to be doing. And, and uh, you know, just hoping for that every day. And uh, again, thanks for having me on. It's always great to talk to you and um, we'll see you soon. Yes, sir. Man, what a great show. What a great time listening to Dale Jr.'s insight on not only family and how he's handling these these uh, troubled times, but I just, any chance I get to talk to that man about anything, it makes me happy. Uh, I know I shed a couple tears during the show, so maybe you don't, you don't know that it makes me happy, but but it does. I hope you'll tell your friends about Waltrip Unfiltered. They can uh, check us out on Fox Sports' YouTube channel. We're on all the different social media platforms. So. We're going to be here week in and week out bringing you guests. And I talked to Dale when the show was over, and I said, we were pretty serious this show. Let's have some laughs next time. Let's, let's share some stories. He said he's, he's in. He's going to come back, and we'll, uh, we'll entertain you again. Thanks for watching Walter Unfiltered, and we'll talk to you later.